Hi, I'm Mike Carroll, International Chairman of the IAFCI. I am happy to announce that this is the 50th episode of IAFCI Presents, the Protectors Podcast. Over the past two years, Mark and I, as well as Modify Media, have been so honored to give our subscribers and listeners information to help avoid being a victim of fraud, scams, financial, and cybercrimes. One of the missions of the IFCI is to provide education and awareness so you are safe from being targeted. We would like to thank all of you for listening and hope you encourage others to listen and subscribe to the podcast. For our 50th episode, we invited a very special guest to the podcast. His voice will be immediately recognized by everyone, and we thank him for celebrating our 50th episode. I'm Bill Curtis, and you're listening to The Protectors Podcast. Introducing The Protectors, inside criminal minds from around the world. Presented by the IAFCI, leaders in safeguarding consumers from fraud and scams for more than 50 years. And now your hosts, International President Mark Solomon and Chairman of the Board Michael Carroll. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IAFCI Presents the Protectors Podcast. This is Mark Solomon, President of the International Association of Financial Crimes Investigators. So many special things are going on with this episode, starting with April DeValconeer, who is filling in for Mike Carroll. April is the chapter president of the Wisconsin chapter, the IFCI, and a frequent guest of the podcast. Welcome back, April. Thanks, Mark. I'm so glad to be here. And today we're at the CC Rock Conference. For those of you that are not familiar, it's the Cook County Retail Organized Crime Conference down here in Illinois. Yeah, we got 500 strong investigators, two days of training, and subject matter experts. It's been a great conference. It absolutely has been. Yeah. So April, I'm also excited that you're here because this is going to be our 50th episode of the Protectors Podcast, and it'll be airing on August 30th, 2023 at our IAFCI annual training conference in Tampa. Mark, that's awesome. And I am so excited about our guest speaker. As I look to my right, I I can't even hold my excitement in. Please introduce our guest today. He is the legendary TV journalist, producer, narrator, and news anchor, and fan favorite of so many true crime stories such as American Justice, Cold Case Files, and American Greed. The Protectors Podcast is honored to welcome to the show as our 50th guest, Mr. Bill Curtis. Thank you very much. Love to hear that. So, Bill, I, I have to say, uh, growing up in my teenage years, all the way throughout my adulthood here, and I, I'm getting older, I know, but your voice just resonates with me. The shows that you have done, I spent 26 years in law enforcement and uh, watching uh, Cold Case Files, American Greed, American Justice. I can't tell you what an honor it is to, to be oh, sitting here you. in the same room with you. And so, Bill, how did you start your career I read that you actually got involved in uh, the news by sort of by accident. You were studying to be a lawyer. Well, I graduated from law school, uh, Washburn Law in uh, Topeka, Kansas, and I had accepted a job in Wichita uh, as a trial lawyer, personal injury lawyer, I think, and we're studying for the bar. And my friend asked me to fill in for him on doing the six o'clock news. That was my part-time job. And I went out, and um, we had a weather development coming in from the west. 
And uh, the general manager said, well, you better stick around. Uh, you know, we'll go on at 7 o'clock and, you know, give the all clear or what have you. So at 7 o'clock, somebody, one, one of our cameramen uh, calls in two-way from uh, the west side of the city and said, we have a tornado on the ground. Wow. On the ground. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, oh, it'll never happen here. Let's go ahead and give a warning or what have you. And um, sure enough, so we had to suddenly face the big decision uh, that uh, lives were at stake. Do we break in and say, this is it, folks, uh, you better head. So uh, we did. And I happened to be the guy on the air. And I said, for God's sake, take cover in such a way that they did. They did. <laughs> they went right to the basement. And I decided, yeah, I decided then that uh, I'm going to stay in broadcasting. I had had 10 years in it, you know, starting in high school and, and uh, through college. It was a great part-time job. And um, so the next jump was to Chicago. I set out my tapes, which is traditional. I came right to WBBM in Chicago and spent 30 years with CBS. Wow. Wow. And where did your interests come from when it came to investigative reporting and in particular crime? How did that develop in your career? Well, you know, when you have a law degree, you think, oh, well, I should uh, practice law. Well, basically, a lawyer is an investigator because he wants to have the facts so he can go in and sell those facts to a jury. So it was a natural uh, progression that I found uh, I had an advantage because most people then were not lawyers on the air. Now everybody's a lawyer, <laughs> and, and it really helps. So that was an interest. Uh, I, I was in court, which was a program within law school, and did very, very well. As a matter of fact, uh, my entire law degree was uh, arguing there in one of their cases before... Um, can't remember him, a Supreme Court justice that everybody would uh, would know, except somebody whose memory is failing. <laughs> like um, and it came in handy, especially for Agent Orange. Agent Orange was, uh, and still is, one of the big stories to come out of Vietnam, the most persistent. And it was... You know, every lawyer goes to court not knowing when that secret witness is going to come in and just slap his whole case away. And that was sort of what I was watching. But I, I realized that I had been given by a whistleblower in Chicago at the Veterans Administration um, the names of 12 veterans who were suffering uh, symptoms, but the doctors didn't know what it was. So in an instant, I could see... Um, and they said they were all exposed to defoliant, this white spray that took out the vegetation. I could see that um, this was chemical warfare, biological warfare, that nobody had any idea that it would affect our own troops. And one reason is that, um, another little thing that uh, made, it, made it difficult, farmers had been using it, uh, this was in Kansas, for 40 years. Plenty of research had been done, all saying it was, it would not harm it was safe. Yeah, mm -hmm. you can go right ahead, if used by the proper instructions. And so we had to go and prove that whole thing, that body of research wrong. So we chose the right professors, 
And there was one, Barry Commoner, uh, who worked for Monsanto, ironically, at the time. And he said, look, I have a theory on this. You're exposed to the defoliant. It enters the fatty tissue and stays there, not necessarily giving you problems, but when you get older and lose weight, then it would be released, and these guys, you know, really would be suffering. Well, the long and short of it is, uh, today, 200,000 veterans have been compensated. 50 major illnesses have been listed by Congress that you don't have to prove anything, only that you were in Vietnam with one footstep, if that's all it takes, and the rest is history. And it goes on and on. So that was an investigative, a real uh, investigative uh, job. Well, now every television station has an investigative unit, um, it seems, and uh, they do a lot of good work. And basically, it's an extension of reporting, which is out there and finding the next level of story after the headlines. Oh, they'll give the headlines and give 30 seconds, you know, but the unit will break. I was just watching CNN and they got a, a similar uh, tip from a uh, whistleblower on um, a sexual harassment that had been covered up by the Coast Guard. That's going to blow up now. This was last night. So wow. that, and that was work. That was investigative work. I'm, I'm sure that it was. And there's a lot of new aspects of the investigative teams that are all at all of these stations, right? Yes. So can you explain kind of how that has progressed over time? Well, everything progresses chasing money. <laughs> money depends on ratings. Ratings depend on interesting stories. But it doesn't mean making them up. You can't do that. It simply means good old gumshoe work, just like cops. You get out there and follow the leads that are phoned in. Because the media represents um, an arm of government where they don't find. Somebody has problems, but they don't find the answers anywhere else. Nobody responding. And so they call the media. Well, the media, especially if it uh, is visual on television mm -hmm. and uh, is interesting. Now, th the downside for a manager is that um, it costs money. So if you have four people that you're paying in that unit, <laughs> you better be churning out some stories. <laughs> so do most of those stories typically involve following the money or fraud type investigations? Yes, fraud is, um, we're wallowing in fraud these days. And the more technical we get, why the worse it becomes. And I personally, you know, you, you can, I thought, well, I'll just wire everything and it'll be okay. Somebody, you know, came in between, uh, you know, the sender and the Little receiver. Man in the middle attack. Yes. Oh, yeah, my. Yep. And, yep. you know, so I called a couple of guys who had started a security firm. They were former FBI. And they said, look, um, we can't solve this. Uh, we have a we have a name or so, so I called the name and sure enough he was in Maryland and you'll never get it. So I had the special agent of the uh, Chicago office of the FBI say, uh, "I'm sorry to tell you, but it's Wild West time." And if people knew how tough it is on the internet, they wouldn't do business at all. Yeah. 
Well, anyway, there's that. And then they're rummaging back. So we, we start mailing again our checks and... Uh, and now we have mail fraud. <laughs> mail carriers. And mail theft. Well, Just doesn't right. stop, does mail it? Mail carriers. <laughs> and last night, you know, we had somebody on the air, uh, a retired uh, mail deliverer, and uh, he said, hey, you know, we want some help out here. Protection. We're all alone. We're walking into the... And the way armed robberies now help, there are four guys in a car. They stop in the street. They jump out. And, of course, the cops can't get there for... 90 seconds or so, by that time, they have uh, pulled out their weapon and not intending to use it, probably. Give me your phone, give me your money, we're out of here. Yeah. And Bill, we're seeing a huge increase, not only here in Chicago, but also across the country with robberies of uh, mail carriers. And it's, believe it or not, they're primary target is to get an arrow key that opens up all the blue bins and an entire zip code. So what amazing is they're using violence or threatening violence to commit a financial crime. And, you know, I know the Postal Inspection Service is doing an incredible job investigating these crimes, but you're right. You know, our own postal carriers are sometimes not safe out there just delivering mail for us. And it presents the big problem. How do you stop it? You can't assign a policeman for every mail carrier, you can have communication, perhaps, and maybe assign somebody for a several-block area, and they hit a, an emergency switch, you get a red light, then rush to the scene. But, you know, we're all facing it. I mean, we're in, in Chicago especially, we have this terrible crime problem of uh, gun violence. And every time, I wrote a book, uh, you know, against the death penalty. And, um, you know, sure, I'm ready to go out and fight uh, against the death penalty. And every, every time I start it, there is a crime that makes me rethink it. We had one in Chicago just a couple nights ago where a guy comes out of the house. He doesn't like the noise the children are making on the street. He shoots a nine-year-old girl in the head. In the head, no questions asked, no dialogue. Obviously, I guess he's mentally ill, but uh, we'll find out. Mm -hmm. I mean, just how horrific! Unbelievable, unbelievable. Mm. And Bill, I wanted to ask you too. Um, your show, American Greed, I am a huge fan. Can you? I know you're here at CC Rock today at our uh, organized retail crime conference, and we'll be speaking uh, this morning. But you're going to highlight four cases uh, that went to trial, what you call the trials of the century, I believe. And can you tell us a little bit about each one of those cases and what they were about? It'll take me an hour. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to start with Richard Speck. And there are a number of things. We think we know Richard Speck, eight student nurses uh, killed by this terrible man. And um, what people most don't know is that there were two landmark Supreme Court decisions that came down within months of the case, which really tied up the prosecutor. One was Miranda, the Miranda rights. You know, a little guy in Arizona, why they, they suddenly institute, and Earl Warren wrote uh, 90 pages, I think, of Tom Clark, something like that. Then uh, the second one was a pretrial publicity, and it was Sam Shepard, who was uh, convicted in Cleveland of killing his wife. And the Supreme Court decision uh, described a Roman circus. Um, the press 
occupied every seat in the courtroom. They put in a special long table next to the exhibits and three feet from the jury where other press members, reporters, could sit. Um, they could talk to the jurors coming and going. Wow. It's just today, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And um, first of all, they had to deal with it uh, in the spec case. And they changed the venue to Peoria. And uh, But they were worried about the Miranda. You know, they pulled him out of a uh, Skid Row hotel and finally discovered by uh, erasing dirt on an arm, uh, the born-to-raise-hell uh, tattoo, which ultimately identified it at spec. But it was um, three weeks before they even talked to him, just to make sure that they didn't violate the Miranda uh, instructions. Uh, the other one is the conspiracy trial here in Chicago. It's been made movies and radio and everything has been made of it. But uh, I saw it from sitting in the courtroom for six months. And um, it, was a, it was indeed a circus. Um, they were trying to disrupt the trial uh, by just being so, you know, demonstrative that uh, they couldn't guarantee you know, a fair trial. But Julius Hoffman, who has his legacy is stained from, you know, being a very tough guy. But I, uh, in, in writing it up, you know, I uh, felt sorry for him because he was trying to maintain enough decorum so that they wouldn't have a trial. And then I'll move to Charles Manson, which everybody knows by heart, uh, Helter Skelter, is there anything different there? Charlie was uh, very, in, could be instrumental for the rest of us because he had created a cult there by his family in the Spawn movie ranch. And how, how do you do that? Well, he had sex, drugs, and uh, a personality of a pimp, which gains control over people because, first of all, you restrict the information flow into these people. And they believed he was Jesus and they should do anything to save themselves, survive the Holocaust that was coming, and they would do everything. Vincent Bildersi, the prosecutor, believes that in order to kill, with stabs and strangulation, five people, um, you have to have a piece of evil inside you. I'm not sure that you do. I, I kind of sided with uh, Vince Bildersi, the prosecutor, um, to believe the combination of drugs and and just this personality was enough to do it. And then peer pressure, because there were four, five that went in to Sharon Tate and then the LaBiancas and uh, made it difficult. And then Angela Davis, which is interesting. I don't know that it made the news back here, but uh, it was probably the, the worst crime to enter a courtroom. Um, the Soledad brothers uh, were, back in the day, um, on trial. Uh, at least one of the brothers was on trial. Angela was in love with another one that happened to be incarcerated. Three days before a kidnapping in which, you know, the other brother goes into the courtroom and kidnaps the judge, the prosecutor, the jurors, ties them with piano wire, and 
you know, using uh, guns that uh, we brought in, takes them out into a van, tapes a double-barrel shotgun to the head in the neck of the judge and says, you let me go, and I want a plane, and we're getting out of here. As they're pulling out, a sheriff's deputy uh, fires, probably the first shot fired. Uh, the gun goes off, blows his head off, and the prosecutor actually was uh, cool enough to reach around, get one of the uh, handguns, shoot a couple, but they shot him and he's been paralyzed ever since. Uh, I won't go on and on, but um, the, the bottom line is that Angela Davis was acquitted of that, even though she bought the weapons, all the weapons that were used three days before the crime. I said, you got to be a hell of a lawyer <laughs> to convince yeah, yeah. the jury. <laughs> the whole, uh, we, we were just looking around for target practice. Wow. Anyway, interesting. Well, we're really looking forward to your uh, presentation today. We'll be in there. And Bill, what's the future for uh, Bill Curtis? What, what projects are you working on next? <laughs> Fraud, Fraud. Will, will be an endless source of stories. <laughs> so it's, you know, the one thing about uh, doing a show like we're doing is that you never run out of material. And we have new young people who are coming aboard. And, and, and now um, you, you have lawyers who want to, do what we're doing, and uh, law enforcement people. And what I've seen in my career is that usually or the FBI would not talk to the press because they didn't want to create a fair trial and free press issue. Um, now they turn to us within a day because they realize that by getting the story out, they'll get the leads. And mm -hmm. so it's a, a nice partnership. Did I also hear you earlier say you're working on a book? Yes, I am. Uh, a memoir. It's a little too long, 800 pages. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've had a very successful yeah. career, so you need, you need space. <laughs> Let's see. Do, really? I, do I eliminate the story about uh, going to the brothel uh, outside <laughs> Las Vegas during Howard Hughes' term, or, or the one um, visiting a drug lord in Myanmar, uh, who is number two in the amount of heroin that uh, wow. <laughs> he's wow. shipping? Goodness. Wow! Uh, or do I just call it quits? Never, so, never. <laughs> no, no. We're very excited. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, folks, uh, again, the incredible Bill Curtis was here with us today in this podcast, and we thank Bill for taking the time to sit down and sharing his expertise and knowledge with us. And uh, again, keep going strong. Like I said, I love hearing your voice uh, anytime I can, and it makes me stop on that channel and listen and, and watch your show. Well, so thank you. I'm familiar with uh, your podcast. All right. So I feel like a veteran. <laughs> well, welcome Save back. Save this space. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Bill. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Remember, as you join the fight to protect our citizens, you're not alone. With more than 6,500 members from around the world, the men and women of the IAFCI are standing together with you. To learn more or to join the IAFCI, please visit our website at www.iafci.org. The Protectors Podcast is produced by Modified Media and is available for free wherever you listen to podcasts. The hosts and guest opinions are their own and do not reflect those of management, employers, or sponsors.
Listeners are encouraged to contact law enforcement if they suspect being a victim of a crime.